Hey, this is Aaron Carnes. We started this podcast in 2021 to promote my book, In Defense of Ska. Since then, the podcast has grown into its own thing. I've been working on an expanded second edition. I interviewed new people, edited every chapter, and there's a new final chapter, 30,000 new words. The expanded second edition of In Defense of Ska will be released on October 29th, 2024. Can you do something for me? Pre-order it right now at clashbooks.com under the books tab. The more copies it sells in advance, the more it'll get people to support ska music. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Tour life is hard, and if you're a DIY band, sometimes roadie options amount to who's ever willing to drive. In the film Uncle Peckerhead, punk rock trio Duh reluctantly agree to bring an old guy named Peckerhead as their roadie because he owns a van. Turns out he also eats people. Uncle Peckerhead is a punk rock horror comedy film that showcases the DIY tour life in a surprisingly realistic way, aside from the people-eating part. It's a great film that even has an entire scene built around a slapstick song title. We sat down with filmmaker Matthew John Lawrence and star Jeff Riddle, who also happened to write all the music for the film. I was the one that told you about the movie Uncle Peckerhead, right? You did, yes. I had hold, had it told me by my wife's uncle. I was like, you need to watch this movie Uncle Peckerhead. And I was like, what? That name's terrible. <laughs> and I was like really resistant to watching it. And then we put it on and it's so good. Oh yeah. It's an amazing movie. I feel like more than any other movie, it captures what it feels like to be in a punk band on tour. Yeah, absolutely. And you've said this before, but I'll say it. I'll be the one to say it here is the band actually sounds like a real band, which is super rare in movies. And they're actually a good band. Right. That was really the, the turning point the part that really made me sit up watching the movie was when the band actually started to play, I was like, wait, this sounds like a real band. Yeah. And it turns out that Jeff is actually in a real band. He's in 500 bucks and all the gear in the movie, the van that's in the movie, the house, it's all his actual punk rock, like life <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. Incredible. Movies and stories are always better when like there's like a real piece of the creators in it. And I think that's one of the things about this movie that stands out. Absolutely. I would love to just get a real brief explanation of what this movie is and what the movie is about. Sure. Well, Uncle Peckerhead is uh, an indie horror comedy about a three-piece punk band that goes on the road on their first tour and it just so happens that their roadie is a man-eating monster mm. so it's, it's basically the trials and tribulations of a uh, a first-time touring band and the uh, all the bullshit they encounter with uh with their lovable monster roadie right off the bat the first thing i i drew a similarity to is the movie green room both are movies about bands on tour and it turns into a horror film. But the weird thing is, is as fantastic as uncle Peckerhead is as like 
you know, Rhodey turns into a like a monster. Uh, Uncle Peckerhead feels so much more real to the van touring experience than Green Room. I, I mean that that means a lot. I know that uh, in my in my twenties, I was in a band and I toured a bunch. So like uh, a bunch of the the moments in the film are from like personal experiences I had on the road. Um, but I like a, a lot of the a lot of kind of the the energy and and just kind of the 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 depiction of the touring lifestyle just came from like my experiences and and Jeff's experiences and a, a bunch of our friends and buddies that that have also been in bands and been been touring. So it's just you know just you know writing what you know. Yeah, yeah. The, the punk rock you know touring DIY lifestyle is something that. It seems to be very rarely ever captured in a realistic way in a movie or a book or any of these things. So I, I really I appreciate that too, the way that you captured it in a way that actually feels like, oh, I you know I was in a band and yeah, it's like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean one of one of the things that that we wanted to do like from the start uh, when I started writing the script was I felt that. A lot of uh, a lot of films, not just Hollywood films, but even indie films, kind of uh, if if they do depict the touring lifestyle, it's it's really romanticized. And while like I miss playing in bands and and at times I miss being on the road. Uh, when I think of the reality of what it was like to be a DIY band uh, on the road with with really like no label uh, and and no help, uh, you know. It we're not like on a tour bus, you know, having these crazy like hotel parties and, you know, getting into hijinks. I mean, we were like sleeping in Walmart parking lots and, you know, eating our shoelaces. Uh, so it, 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 I wanted to kind of show the, the reality of what touring is, is it can be incredibly fun. You can have these like super high highs when you, when you have a great show or, or you meet some really awesome people or, or bands that you run into along the way. Um, but for the most part, it, I felt that like, I mean, my experience was I was, you know, hungry and kind of <laughs> like sad, <and> lonely <laughs> and, uh, and, and really worried about like how we're going to make it to the, to the next show in terms of gas and, and just trying to like stretch every dollar as, as far as we can. Um, and I had never really seen that in, in film before. Yeah. And, you know, even like what Adam mentioned green room, like, the other the other extreme is to kind of dramatize it in a weird way. Yeah. And like that's so not like that's so not what touring is like, you know, it is kind of absurd and there are like kind of these goofy moments a lot of times there's like these just goofy moments, these dumb moments, like these disappointing moments. Yeah, it's to depict it accurately. I mean, I think the fact that you made the movie funny was a good good way to keep it in reality in an odd way. Oh man, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that. Yeah, I mean, with 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 that with those experiences, uh, you know, if you're if you're not laughing, you'll end up crying. So, <laughs> as broke as I've ever been on tour, and this this question is for both Jeff and Matt. Have either of you ever had to siphon gas? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've ever had to actually siphon it. Um, I'm sure I've stolen it. <laughs> Somehow. I don't know if I've ever siphoned it. There is a scene in the movie where um, you guys, uh, the band, either goes to siphon or does does, does siphon gas. That would be me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
That was great, personally, because gasoline is one of my favorite flavors. <laughs> so I got um, <laughs> No, actually, uh, I'm not. I've not had to siphon gas, but you know it does get pretty desperate. And actually, one of my favorite uh, critiques, one of my favorite criticisms that I've seen, like I, I can't read reviews because I'm just like I can't, I can't torture myself like that. Um, we've got a lot of positive response, but um, simply my favorite was somebody, they started it out, they said, now I've never been in a band or, and I've never been on tour, but let me tell you something, this is not how it works. And I was like, all right, well, let's, let's hear what this guy has to say. And he, and, and I would thought he was going to be like, you know, this is like where the, where the bus is, where, and he was like, if this is too fucking glamorous, I was is like this. I was like glamorous. I was like, there's like sparks shooting out of our amplifiers and like, we're sleeping in the van. Like, what shows are you going to? <laughs> so, yeah, that was my favorite, I think. I feel like what really lent a level of authenticity to the film. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but the band house, the van, and all the band gear. Jeff, that's all yours, right? Yeah, that's all mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, piece of shit house, that's mine. <laughs> I mean, it looks it looks like where... I lived when I was touring all the time and yeah. your van looks like a real band van. Yeah. Well, it was. I was. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just like, I was watching it just being like, this feels way too real. Cause I went into it completely blind not knowing what the movie was going to be. And then, and then when the band actually starts playing and you like lean into the amp and start feeding back, I was like, this is like a real band. This isn't like a, a Hollywood made up band. Like they know too much. That means a lot, man. That's really that's really nice of you to say. Actually, the the cool thing about that for me watching back is like you know, um, my girlfriend and I bought our house, and that's like that's what it looked like when we bought it, and that's and we were like fixing it and and living in here while we were fixing it. So like you know, we we're really roughing it at first, but Matt came. When we were when we were trying to figure out where the band lived, and he saw my house in that stage, and he's like, "This will do just fine." Yeah, and so and it worked. I mean, it it, it totally, you know. And as as was often the case with old vans, that van is no longer. Uh, so it's just cool. It's kind of rad to see a little time capsule of these things as they were, you know. So there's a scene in the movie where the characters are hanging out and uh, a couple of metalheads pull into the parking lot. Let's talk about that scene. Where did that idea come from? This whole idea of metalheads in a parking lot? Uh, the band Slapstick. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I grew up like loving on... Uh, Loving on slapstick, and I had always I, I that that scene I had always kind of had in my head as a, as a scene I wanted to do. I didn't know uh, it would be like I, it would finally be realized through Uncle Peckerhead, but I kind of wanted a showdown between uh, punks and metalheads in a parking lot, um, <laughs> and and yeah, I mean, I it, it definitely the inspiration came from that song, and I, I think it's like one of my favorite song titles. Um, and yeah, it just like, it just lent, and I, I, I was so surprised at how quickly, you know, uh, you know, people when, once they watched the film kind of caught the reference. Um, cause I thought, you know, maybe a couple of people or maybe like friends of mine that, that knew that I was really into slapstick growing up. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's all, that's all slapstick. I love that. It's, um, these two metalheads, they, 
screech into a parking lot. Then they get out of the car, they put on some metal, and then they just start drinking and raging. Like that's what metalheads <laughs> in a parking lot do. <laughs> Those guys were sick. I mean, Josh and Alex that played the metalheads are just fucking. They were incredible, dude. We were. That was one of the last. That might have been the last night we were filming. Yeah. And they just. I mean, they they made morale shoot through the roof with that. That was just fucking great. Yeah, because we we had been. I mean, it really felt like a tour. The the shooting of the movie because we went. Uh, we shot for three weeks with Sundays off, so we shot for eighteen days. And I mean, since we were a DIY operation, uh, you know, y- you are basically filling like every person's filling ba- like you know at least a dozen roles, if not more. So uh, by those those last two days, everyone's energy is zapped. Uh, morale's like a little low. And I'm telling you, like when when Josh and Alex showed up and Josh is from a band school drugs that I that I really love. And uh, Alex is a really great comedian now living in in, in Atlanta. Um, but they I mean, they like showed up ready for the part. I mean, when they pulled into the parking lot, I mean, they got out and they were just like slamming like Coca-Cola and like raging. And you could see everybody on crew was like, oh, shit. Um, and, and, and you could see like, they kind of brought the energy up because I mean, they were literally headbanging probably for like seven or eight hours, like throughout the entire time. <laughs> and I, and I don't think that they, they met each, they knew each other before that day, right? No, they had no idea. And it's crazy because their chemistry and they both had the same, like, I, like I gave them a little direction. I showed them like, you know, a, a few videos I'd found on YouTube as far as like how I wanted them to kind of like the look and kind of the how I wanted them to physically carry themselves and kind of the head banging. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were totally in sync and, uh, and I couldn't believe, I mean, I, I know Alex was like, I think he, he felt that maybe he had a concussion by the end of it. <laughs> so you mentioned school drugs as, as one of the bands, were there any other members of bands that filled out roles in the, in the film? Uh, oh, Augusta, uh, my friend Augusta of, Kaitana and Gladdy fame. Uh, she did the um, the singing voice of Judy for for all the Daw songs in the movie. Yeah, so that was and, sick. And Bill Orinder, uh, who who recorded the drums for all the Daw songs, uh, he was in Captain We're Sinking. He plays in Elway now, and he plays in Jeff's band Five Hundred Bucks. Um, I'm trying to think as far as I like my brother is the dead body in the opening and he is, I mean, he's been working in like he books shows. So he worked at house of independence. He worked at the old Asbury lanes way back in the day. Um, so we've had people that if they're not in bands, they've like worked in the music industry or they've, you know, they've, they've managed or they've booked shows. Um, but I'm trying to think, I don't think as far as actors, we had anybody else that was, that was in any, any bands that. Yeah. But we reached out to a lot of friends who like, let us use, you know, cause we had to get permission to use like shirts. So like the men's zingers and the bouncing souls and, uh, like. You get a, a Lemuria. Yeah. Lemuria, doll baby. Uh, yeah. But you know, anybody that like let us use their shit was really cool. Yeah, we had Augusta on the this podcast because she has ska roots. Yeah. And after we were done taping the episode, as we were just kind of uh, downloading the files and stuff, I think Adam brought this bought your movie up and she's like, Oh yeah. Yeah, Jeff, are you in are you in a Kaitana video? Oh, uh I probably. 
Yeah. So I think I brought that up, and then and then she was like, "Oh yeah, I I actually am the voice of the female singer in Duh," and I was like, "What?" Like, oh yeah, I forgot I did this like fucking movie thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, she's great. I mean, actually, you know, Gus and I have been friends for a very long time. Um, and, uh, she's actually, she's my neighbor now. She lives right down the street from me. She, uh, so she lives like a block away from me now, but, um, no, we're, uh, we've been recording a, uh, the duh record together. So like, we just had like a lot of positive feedback from, uh, you know, from, from this and I just kind of took us by surprise. And, uh, so we just decided to record like a full length, like, I mean, it's a fake band, you know, (laughs) but yeah. We're just, we're going to, we you know, Bill and I wrote these songs and uh, Augusta's going to sing on the record. So that's pretty much all we have left to do is like, we recorded all the music already, but, uh, you know, we just got to get Gus's vocals down and mix and master it and uh, send it off to get pressed. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. I mean, if monkeys can do it, why not you guys? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't give myself that much credit. So, <laughs> you know. Oh, you meant the band, the monkeys. Oh, I get it. <laughs> you just thought actual monkeys. It's like I know I write fucking simple music, but Jesus, man, give me a break. <laughs> so we we had a uh, Brandon and um, Rob from Slapstick on the show, and yeah, Adam brought up Uncle Peckerhead to them. It's like, did you have you seen this movie? Did you see that there's a reference to Metal in the Parking Lot? And they're like, what? Really? They'd never heard <laughs> they'd never heard about it before. That's so good. So we got we got to break the news to him. Yeah, thank oh, God. Man. <laughs> what did they think? What did they, how did they feel about it? I mean, they seem to be stoked. I mean, when I saw the movie, I mean, like I said, I went into it completely blind. I felt like I was being pranked for a second because there were so many <laughs> things that like really like <laughs> held like a place in, in my heart. And like, so then like when there's just like kind of the throwaway line about metalhead in the parking lot, but then they like repeat it and then it gets repeated again. And then there's like a big title card. <laughs> I started just looking yeah. around like, what's going on? Hey, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad that worked. Yeah, I'm glad we, we dedicated an entire scene to that reference. That's great. That's, <laughs> like, so that's great. like the best part. How big of a Slapstick fan were you? Was Were they a big big band for you back in the day? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of bands from like the Asian Man roster, um, I was a big fan of. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say they were my favorite band, but they definitely were like a band that I, I consistently listened to in, in high school and in college and uh like i was in a ska band in high school Uh and we kind of had we kind of sounded like slapstick like that 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 wave or that vein of of kind of ska punk uh and that kind of like more of kind of a, a grittier like like punky vocals um so yeah i think they were like a huge influence uh especially when i was when i was in my early days of like playing guitar and stuff like that um, and I love that. I mean, that Asian Man release, which is like basically encapsulates their entire their entire discography. Um, yeah, I mean, so I would say. Uh, I mean, I still every time they come on my Spotify like playlist and stuff. I, I mean, I still know the lyrics. I'm I love on that band. Yeah, he so, doesn't skip it. <laughs> <laughs> he listens to it. Wait, so what? What was your ska band called? Oh man, you guys are gonna beat me up. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we, we no judgment here. <laughs> Uh, Rudy can't fail. Uh, it was, yeah, it was a clash. We were huge clash fans too, but it was called Rudy can't fail. That's hardly the worst band name I've ever heard. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, there was a restaurant in, in the East Bay for, 
for years. I think it who was it owned by? Yeah, yeah still there. Okay, is it Green Day? Green Day guys? Yeah, it's it? Mike Durant from Green Day has okay. a restaurant yeah. called Rudy's Can't Fail Cafe. So yeah. So Jeff, Jeff, you never had a ska band? No, I didn't. Um, I've I've had a lot of like ska band names, like Jehovah and the Witnesses, and like things like that. But <laughs> I just never, I never played in a in a ska band. No, I played in a lot of mediocre bands. But <laughs> haven't we all? No, no, haven't we all? Yeah, no, no ska, no ska. I love um, the fake bands, fake band titles. Oh um, yeah, let's go. Let's co- let's go through some of them. Here's the ones that I let's, remember. Let's. Brainbuster, Acid Cat. Yep. Uh, my favorite is Turd Toilet. <laughs> yes. The one that was uh, Marshmallow Dicks. Was that a band or was that an artist? I can't. That remember. was an artist. That was an artist. That was an artist. <laughs> That's a good name, though. He did our. They they did our uh, our our EP artwork. Ah. Yeah, I mean, like one thing I always do with my wife is we always come up with uh, like what our fake band name should be. Um, <laughs> so I, I probably have like a bunch of spiral notebooks of just just kind of iterations on, on different types of bands. Like if we were a thrash metal band, what would our name be? If we were like if we were a ska band, what would our name be? If we were, you know, if we were a a classic rock band, what would our name be? Do you have any of your ska band ones on the top of your head? I don't, I know the last one, the last one that I told my wife is I wanted to be in like a thrashy punk band called uh, Jean Benet Shamsy. That was, that was the last one. <laughs> That's solid. Yeah. You need to start that. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get my wife to play drums for me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So Matt, this movie you you had envisioned this movie years ago, right? Yep. And so as I understand it, you had the the closing scene in mind and you were um you thought of so Jeff's old band is Holy Hell. Holy Mess. Holy Mess, sorry. And uh what's the name of the song? Trash Art. You you were you were hearing Trash Trash Age. Trash Age. Oh, I'm messing everything up. Okay. So you pictured Trash Age playing during the closing scene as you pictured it now that's kind of like the early roots of the the movie right yeah i mean the the early roots of the movie kind of came from uh i had had a, like an idea that i wanted to pitch to adult swim as like kind of a, a like a series like a 15 minute episode like episodes mm-hmm. um series about uh like kind of built around the the 90s like sitcom where it's like uh, a bunch of like, you know, punk kids living in this kind of squatter house with, and inexplicably they're living with this kind of like tweaker um, older dude. And he kind of is there. Like I always described it as a punk rock full house with a redneck Mr. Belvedere. Um, And I combined that with, I had wanted to do a horror movie about like the, the trials and tribulations of a tour so I kind of combined those two, but when I was when I started the script writing phase, uh, and and I knew I wanted to work with Jeff because uh, 
Jeff and I had worked on a short film and I, I like, I knew like he was really like the first collaborator uh, that I kind of uh, enlisted to, to work on this with me. And uh, I like, I love the Holy mess. I love, I mean, all of Jeff's music, um, but I love the Holy mess and trash age in particular, I think like it was, I, I, and I think I've told Jeff this, like the lyrics, I think were kind of perfect for, um, the kind of like some of the themes I wanted to take on with Peckerhead and it sounds crazy because it is like a shit and piss movie. Um, but there's like a lyric in trash age that it's like, uh, um, my little love, uh, Jeff, I'm uh, misquoting it. Just like yell at me. My little love, I'm not around. I've taken lost and I don't want to be found. There's, uh, there's what is it, Jeff? I want to hear you do this. <laughs> no, I'm just it's not, no, no, it's okay. Uh, there's a lot that's wrong in this world and me. Uh, yeah. There's a hole in my chest where my heart used to be. Yeah, and I always thought that that's like such a great encapsulation of Peckerhead, of this idea of this like kind of wandering person, like this this kind of like wanderer that's kind of searching for connection and searching for people. And that's kind of like what it, one of the things I wanted to do with writing that character is um i don't consider him to be like the villain of the film i think he definitely does like very heinous stuff and he definitely is like the main conflict for for judy and the band but uh, i wanted to kind of create like what i love about like the old universal monster movies or a lot of a lot of the horror movies i love where you know the 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 main antagonist or, or kind of the the villain is actually like the sympathetic figure um, that you really kind of feel for that he's probably, you know, this, this is out of his hands that he has no control. Um, and I felt like trash age, even though like trash age, that's not what it's about, uh, at least, you know, in, in the entire like body of the lyrics, um, there were just, there's like a certain sentiment in that, <clears throat> in that song. And especially towards the end that I think really kind of wraps up, you know, how I see the titular character of Peckerhead and how I see kind of some of the themes I wanted the film to take on. Um, so Jeff was so nice in that, like, I know that, you know, it, it, it can sometimes be a drag to kind of rehash, you know, old stuff you've written and you kind of, and, and Jeff had written like a, an amazing kind of collection of songs for Dead to perform, you know, throughout. Um, but he was awesome that, you know, he, he re-recorded that song. And I think it, it's such a, it's such, I think it's such like sonically, it's such kind of a, a beautiful end to the film and it kind of matches the, the energy and the intensity and kind of the 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 batshitness of what I wanted that that end to to kind of feel and and, and embody. So we're we're gonna go ahead and make this like a, a full spoiler episode. Like people need to watch the movie before they say this. So just you can just say what happens at the end of the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, so at the end of the movie, um, they're performing this song and uh, they they've been out of jail. Peckerhead's still kind of on the loose, kind of you know, just, you know, they don't know where he is. And I, I mean, what I wanted with the ending is I wanted it to be uh, ambiguous where you don't know if Judy now is just like doomed to always have to look over her shoulder and to always worry, like, what if Peckerhead's at the show? What if it's midnight? Um, is he following us? You know, does, does he have, does he have our band in his sights? Um, or if Peckerhead is really there? And he is destroying the crowd in front of them and perhaps just leaving the crowd dead and leaving them alive to kind of suffer the, the consequences of their actions of their, you know, their deal with the devil. Um, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to make it, you know, 
too explicit. It's a, it's, it leans a little bit more into that he's actually killing people with, with this soundtrack of the, the yells and the screams and the cries. Um, but I still wanted it to be somewhat ambiguous that you don't know if that's all in Judy's head. And now she just, that's her fate. Her fate is that, you know, she sold her soul and now she has to kind of look over her shoulder while she's, while she's touring and while she's enjoying this, this newfound fame. Yeah. I think he did a good job of accomplishing that. Cause I like just zooming in on just her expression and kind of her eyes and, and you can kind of hear the, the screaming and what, whatever's going on, but it's done in a way where it could be imagined. It, it like, it leaves you thinking at the end. And I feel like that, that makes it more powerful than actually showing anything. Yeah. I kind of always imagine that it could just either be the crowd. Yeah. Like the crowd could either be like cheering or being torn to shreds and yeah. kind of, you know, the viewers left with that. I would love to hear a little bit about um, the original kind of intent or meaning behind the song um, when you first wrote it, Jeff. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of hard to pin down necessarily, but like, I think when I was writing that, I, I wrote that and another song, for an EP that we did, uh, that my old band did. And it was, uh, I mean, we called the, the seven inch trash age, but I kind of just had this like, uh, meandering theme of like, uh, you know, humans have, have made it through, you know, the ice age and, you know, the dark ages. And now we have to endure the trash age, which is just sort of what we're living in now with like, you know, a, a climate change and pollution and just, um, you know, endless war and fucking, you know, uh, civil, just complete, everybody wants to kill each other. So it was uh, kind of those songs were, were written around around that kind of premise. And uh, but yeah, and so Trash Day just sort of translated into that and that really liked the song and um and yeah, I actually wrote an acoustic record first that I, I did a different version of it on, and then the holy mess turned it into a song. Uh and then uh and then we put it in the movie. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. So there's um, an acoustic version, a holy mess version, and a dub version? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yes, there's a there's a few different iterations of the of the tune. Next up, ska band version. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. It's called I'm horny. It's called I'm horny for trash age. <laughs> <laughs> what year did you write that song? Um, I think probably like 2016. Okay, right around the time you know old DT was fucking getting in there and just taking his shit on everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was very bleak then. I, little did I know it could get bleaker. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> much bleaker. Are we, actually, are we more trash age now. Yeah, yeah, we're we're pretty much just you know laying on the floor with a hang a hangover all day and crying about everything. Yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah, we're all Uncle Uncle Peckerhead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're all. I mean, the other song actually, it's funny because that song's called Trash Age. Like I said, I wrote like them as an EP. The other song's called Flesh of the Fresh, Blood of the Dove, and that song actually is just screaming the whole time. We're all gonna die in the Trash Age. So, yeah, they're kind of interlinked. Actually, Matt and I did a, a video for that song. Matt directed that, that video, and, uh, yeah, I got tortured in it. Okay, I want to I ask about that video because you're wearing a dust shirt in that video. Yep. So yep. what's going on? When was that video shot? What was duh at the time when you shot that video? 
So um, Jeff had approached me uh, about kind of collaborating on doing and uh, doing a video for that that song, and we had uh, we had finished uh, production on a short film called Larry Gun Demon, and in Larry Gun Demon, uh, it, it it didn't end up making it into the final version of the script, but I imagined it's about a bunch of punk kids that live in this house, and they have uh, a demon for a roommate, and they're trying to get uh, you know his rent. Uh, so they can, you know, they can pay the rent. And <clears throat> I always imagined that they were in a band together, like this, this group of punk kids, but that never really made it because we, we had to kind of shorten the narrative a little bit. Um, but I had kind of, I, I had screen printed or I had a friend screen print a bunch of like fake band t-shirts for them to wear. And in that movie, uh, like Jeff is wearing a duh t-shirt. Um, he's not playing the same character from uncle Peckerhead. He's playing in like another character, but I imagine that like a band they would play with was called duh. Um, so we, we had like a bunch of duh t-shirts um that i i wanted to kind of like pepper throughout things that we were shooting whether it be like music videos or, or web videos or you know uh, especially that short film and when it came to writing peckerhead when i was thinking of of the the band's name i wanted something that was really like could roll off the tongue was like one syllable very easy because they would they would be saying it a lot throughout in the dialogue um so i you know i had a bunch of these screen printed t-shirts already and I know there was a band, uh, kind of like a, a superstar group called Duh, but they, I mean, it, it didn't seem like they were on a lot of people's radar. So I felt there wouldn't be any confusion as to whether, you know, this was a fictional band or if we were kind of riffing on a, a band that existed. Um, but yeah, the, Duh, the, the band Duh just came from these t-shirts I had printed for a short film. Uh -huh. So tell me a little bit about the evolution of the film as it, is now alongside the music and you know the evolution of duh as a as a band itself um you kind of talked about you know your initial cart you know kind of sitcom -y version of it and then that turned into the movie and you started writing it so as you're writing this movie were you getting more and more involved with like creating a like a very realistic band with music yeah, I mean, so once once I started writing the script, I immediately reached out to Jeff, um, and I knew that I I wanted uh, to feel like a real band. I wanted them to play original songs uh, for the most part, and I I I knew Jeff was like the person to do that, uh, just because I I I love Jeff's songwriting. I love his his like his lyrical sensibilities and and all that stuff. So. I mean, I gave Jeff very little direction as far as like, we knew we wanted them to be a three piece punk band. So obviously in terms of like the instrumentation that, that, that was kind of already kind of baked in. Um, but I think the only thing that I really told Jeff, as far as like the, the feel of the band was like joy, joyously uh, nihilistic, um, which I mean, is kind of, I think like what I love about Jeff, that's kind of like his sweet spot. Um, but then Jeff just started, I mean, Jeff, you, I'm sure can talk about like the writing of that, of the, the, duh discography. Um, but that was all Jeff. Yeah. Let's hear about what was your thought process in writing these songs, Jeff? Um, well, yeah, you know, like it was, uh, it was kind of like, it's kind of hard. It's like, it's, it was filtered through me. So I guess it's just, there's going to be like a little bit of me in there, but I guess Matt, you know, Matt, and I never really discussed like, 
this is what we want the band to sound like. You know, we didn't have any real like, we, this is what it should sound like. And now like kind of in hindsight, like, I think also I was just going through such a crazy time in my personal life at that particular moment. Like looking back at it, I'm like, man, I should have like thought about that more. You know, I was like, it's kind of crazy how, and I don't want to make it sound like it was completely thoughtless, but like, as far as like the direction of, of it, like, you know, and it was kind of fun and interesting for me too, because I had never written with like, you know, Matt gave me the script and I was reading along of like what's happening in these scenes, like what's happening. And so like when I was trying to write some of these songs, I like thematically was kind of like, you know, taking references from that, uh, which I'd never done before. It was like, that was actually like really, really fun and interesting, but to go along with the, the, the hopelessly nihilistic whatever uh aspects of it i was just i feel like man i was just i was getting fucked by my landlord not really not physically but you know metaphorically and (laughs) it was like i just and like that house that you see in the movie we had got that and like all kinds of fucking shit was going wrong with it my girlfriend and i were like you know essentially in between places so it was like we were almost like homeless and like just on the on the verge of like a nervous breakdown every day. And I would come and like try and save my house from like, you know, from losing my house and like work on it all day. And literally like at night I would just be like, all right, I have to drink six beers and write these songs for this movie. So it kind of like lent itself naturally to just being desperate. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So yeah, it was just like a weird time in my life, but it, you know, it worked out. Did you work out? the um the songs with other musicians because they're very band oriented type songs with chemistry and all this other stuff well i no, i mean pretty much just wrote them all and then my buddy bill who played the drums um who's also in my band my real band 500 bucks um you know he's just he's just like one of the best drummers and he's a great songwriter himself but like i kind of wrote a lot of these just like you know, as we were hopping from like Airbnb to Airbnb kind of uh, in the process of, of this whole, you know, whatever. And um, and yeah, I would just go to him with the songs and we kind of like knock them out. And I said mad ideas and things like that. And uh, it all kind of just came together very like quickly and fluidly. And uh, yeah, but he, he was a, an instrumental part in that process. So how was it getting the other actors to to like mime perform those songs like because they look they look everybody looks like they're actually playing it looks great dude they were great chat and ruby who played mel and judy um they were just fucking they're great great actresses and um and yeah i mean we we did it like i would i recorded bill playing the songs on drums and sent that to um to ruby and i i played the songs on bass and sent it to chat and they really just studied the like the, the iPhone videos we made for the most part. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, and it's, and like, uh, I mean, that's that means a lot to hear musicians, uh, people that actually play, say that. Um, and I'm sure Ruby and Chad would really appreciate it. But I mean, beyond like like Jeff said, like he recorded Bill, and then 
we recorded Jeff and, and sent them videos, but also uh, we paid for like, and it, again, it wasn't a lot, like three or four lessons, especially uh, Ruby. I think Chet had a friend that played bass that kind of like showed her kind of like physically how to hold it and kind of like, she just, she just basically watched Jeff play in these videos and kind of mimed that. Um, but Ruby actually took, I think like a, at least like, like four, four lessons and just kind of like played, uh, like played to those songs with, with her instructor. Um, but what, what, what's great is that, you know, uh, the, the first day that, that we were set to kind of do one of the performances, which is their first performance on the road. Um, I know that, that, like especially Ruby, but both Chet and Ruby were really kind of like spooked because uh, they they had never kind of they had never done it in this in the and both of them like I don't think they they definitely didn't play their respective instrument, but I don't think uh, they they have any uh, uh, experience playing a, a, an instrument at all. Um, and I mean, within the first take of that, uh, the performance at the club, when like the, the amps are sparking, um, like they were locked in and it was like also one of the, the first times that it really felt like we kind of understood what the movie was and we kind of captured like the energy we really wanted the movie to kind of have. Um, so it, it's really, I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed because, uh, one of the things that I always hate in movies is where it's so clear that the person didn't even, like, doesn't even know what a fucking guitar is. Um, and they're just kind of like slapping it. Um, and that, that always, that always irked me. So like one of the things, even though we didn't have a lot of money is we really wanted them and they were totally committed to do so to, you know, really try, uh, even though we couldn't, you know, have them actually perform it live to really actually look and, and like actually have some experience with their, their instrument. So it doesn't look like, you know, some cheesy Hollywood kind of, you know, band. Yeah. I mean, I play drums and, um, I'm, I'm very surprised to hear that Ruby didn't have prior experience before because she looks like a drummer. Like she, looks she like killed she it. Yeah. 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 She's just they, great. And I think too, like to kind of touch on what Matt was saying it, that first day, the first song that's in the movie, that was like our first time, all of us like on stage together and like doing this. And I do remember that, you know, Ruby and Chet were pretty nervous, like in, in the beginning. And again, this just kind of lends itself to like the whole vibe of the movie and like, you know, just what helped us build the chemistry. Um, how, you know, it really, there were so many moments where it felt like we really were a band. Um, and, and just sort of right before we were like started filming, we kind of literally had like a huddle on stage and, you know, we're just like, I was just like, Hey, look, this is like punk music. You don't have to be good at it. Just have fun. Like I fuck up at shows all the time and I have a good time, you know? And <laughs> I was just like, it doesn't matter. Like, don't even like, just have a good time. That's all the fucking counts. And we, you know, we did a take and it was like, it just felt good from the start. And the more we did it, the more just natural and fun it felt. And I think it was just like this really rad cathartic thing. Cause after that set the tone for the rest of, you know, the rest of the shoot, because I was, I think that was day two maybe. And that, and again, I kind of built confidence in the crew uh, and definitely the rest of the cast that like, Oh, okay, cool. This is like, we could be a real band here, you know? 
just to circle back with like Jeff's music, uh, like especially, you know, being able to kind of convince people that like not just the music, but the movie's real is when Jeff was demoing um, the dust songs and kind of sending me it. Um, once we kind of were, were locked in and we kind of knew, like, I think Jeff had sent me too high to cry and I wanted that young. Um, that was like a tool that we used to kind of enlist people to help with the movie. Um, because besides the script and like we, we had a lookbook, um, we didn't really have a lot of resources or we couldn't really produce a lot of resources because we didn't, we really didn't have any money, uh, you know, uh, at any point, uh, especially in pre-production in the early stages. So one of like the great things is like, you know, when you're asking somebody, you know, to take, you know, uh, you know, cause you know, people on like a union shoot would, you know, charge you, you know, X amount of dollars, you know, their, for their day rate. And you're trying to convince like a buddy, or you're trying to convince like, like some people in the crew to kind of work for, you know, these, this, this kind of indie rate. Um, when you're able to kind of play them the music and it's like incredibly catchy and it sounds like a real band and it sounds like kind of fully realized. Um, I feel that like a bunch of people that, that ended up helping out, whether it was like as crew or just somebody that's doing us a favor, like letting us shoot somewhere to be able to kind of use that as, as a, as kind of a, uh, something to, to prove that, that we're a real, like a real deal operation and the, and the music's really going to be good. Um, I think it gave people it, it kind of gave people confidence in us or it, it made it seem like we weren't just a bunch of kids that, that just kind of wanted to grab a camcorder and make a movie. Yeah. I think one thing that was like really impressive too, was that. So Augusta did the vocals uh, for Judy. Yeah. But it totally matches. Um, was that a happy accident? Was that a happy accident or in casting? Did you, consider that the actress needed to look like she would have Augusta's voice? It, I mean, just a happy accident for real. Okay. Um, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get over cause Chet like would, cause in order to like really sell those moments too, like they're really playing and they're really singing. Um, and it's crazy because obviously, uh, you know, Gus has like an incredible voice, but when Chet would kind of sing the part, she she was kind of in the same range as Gus. So, like, yeah. I, I mean, it, it did make sense, too. Like, I think Chet's singing or Chet's screaming voice um, kind of, like, matched Gus's in terms of, like, the range. Like, I, I think they're both probably in, in like, around the same spot. Um, so that was just, I mean, just pure luck, pure luck, just thankful. Yeah. That's something that you talk about, like, um, what, what Hollywood makes films that's something that always sticks out to me. Like the singing voice does not match the speaking voice. <laughs> yeah. And you're yeah. like, come on. Yeah. Dude. Brutal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA plus and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. I like because, I mean, Adam already said this, that, you know, you guys sound like a real band and everything. Um. Like the only, the only other movie on the top of my on the top of my head that I can think of where I like the music as a band separate from the movie is uh, Hedvig and the Angry Inch. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I remember yeah. watching that movie like behind the scenes because I just watched that movie a bunch of times and listened to the music. I watched behind the scenes and there's like footage of the 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 main guy who wrote all the music, and uh, they just had like such dumb band conversations, you know, like oh let's uh let's put a little George Harrison-y part here. I'm like, <laughs> that's why this sounds good. They have all those dumb band conversations. <laughs> and that's what, you know, that's what they don't do in Hollywood movies. They don't think like band people, which is yeah. like really dissecting the parts and like all your like thoughts about the parts and like really taking the time. But like this, like this project came mostly from your head, Jeff, the, the music part. But were you bouncing ideas off of like the people you were playing with and really trying to do that band thing to make them really come alive? To be honest, it, and it just sounds so ignorant. I wish I wish I, I did. That's why I said like more where I was just <laughs> like, man, that, that was sort of like not that it was like not thoughtful because I, I definitely did put thought into it. I just. Like we were just so pressed for time and, and like I said, I just was, man, I, it was one of the most stressful times of my life anyway, outside of this. So I would get home from like, a, uh, like the worst day of my life every day and sit down in a place that wasn't mine, like in a fucking corner while my girlfriend is trying to sleep and like, all right, like just fucking sit and like write songs about, you know my terrible life <laughs> and, and it worked. And I mean, and like, like I said, I mean, I was, I mean, I, I, I played the guitar, the bass and Bill played the drums. So we would get together like maybe once a week or every other week. And I'd be like, all right, like, here's what I got. And then Bill and I would sit with the songs. Um, but I think that just also lends itself. Bill is just such a fucking good drummer and songwriter that like, I don't know. It, it's it's a true, truly a joy to play with them because there's just I, there's some weird thing that happens when we get together. I will get in a room and show him something, and he will just fucking play it. Just you're like, yep, that's what I was thinking. You know, <laughs> like goddamn, Bill. You know, great, great job. Having no knowledge of how films are made, I bet you like the problem is, is that most movies are like, okay, this is a punk band, so we need to. What are the punk bands right. going to sound like? We Whereas, need like, more blue hair on track three. You yeah, know? yeah, but like you know, no one, no one, none of these people making movie would be like, okay, let's get this guy whose life is falling apart and just soundtrack his life erupting in chaos, and that'll be the band. Yeah, I mean, like how, that, that would never happen. Yeah, how how sustainable does that sound on paper? <laughs> you know, fucking Jesus Christ! Thanks, Matt. Thanks for trusting me. But that's why it sounds like a real band. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, you know, and that just, it just came together, I guess, you know, very naturally as it were. And, uh, and again, we just didn't, we were all in a time crunch and everybody was wearing yeah. a million different hats. So nobody, I, I don't think Matt or I were like, no, man, that, that third song, it like could use a, it could use a little more safety pin, you know, like fucking <laughs> I would send Matt a demo and I'm like, fuck, he's going to hate. It. And he'd be like, I fucking love this one. I'm like, you do. And Jeff's great with uh, like, I don't think Jeff gives himself enough credit because like Jeff did such a good job of like, like I said, I didn't really give him a lot of notes, but he, he had access to the script. So I would just say like, like, you know, song number two is played. 
but Jeff would like, Jeff would obviously have the script read and would know like contextually, like what's going on in these, right. in these moments. Um, and I felt that it, I felt like a lot of the songs that he wrote for those, those different, like song two, song three, that it kind of matched like what, what I wanted, uh, you know, the, the, the band to kind of sound like in these moments. Cause I don't think all the songs kind of sound, I know no one's saying it, but none of the songs really sound the same. It sounds like, like organically from, you know, the same three people. Um, Jeff did such a great job of like kind of understanding, you know, the scenes that these songs are kind of appearing in and kind of context of what's, what's come before. Um, and, and like how that kind of influences, uh, you know, the, like each and every song that, that he wrote. So I think he did such a, a great job, even if, even if it was kind of an unconscious thing. Well, I think that, and I think that really helped, like I was kind of getting it earlier is that, yeah, I'd never written with, uh, sort of a, I don't know if direction's the right word, but yeah, having a context of like a script and be like it would in the script, it would be like song two plays, like whatever, but having an idea of what these characters are going through and then sort of being able to write from their perspective, but then also filter that through, you know, like distill it, you know, of like, oh, that's how you get a song. Like I want to die young, you know, it's just, it kind of, it's like thematically has like, you know, sort of touchstones of what's going on in this movie. But then at the same time, we're just like, somebody fucking kill me. Get this over with. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not, every day I look at my alarm clock and say, oh, fuck another one. <laughs> I want to ask about um, Dominion Rising. This is the oh, rival yeah. band in the film. Mm-hmm. First off, I'd like to just say thank you for not making them a ska band. <laughs> Hell yeah. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't do that. Yeah, thanks for not doing us dirty like that. Yeah, we ain't gonna do you guys dirty like that. Don't worry. So this character this character's introduced um before we hear his band, and it's clear that he's a total self-important douche. Um yeah. then once we down the road get to hear his music, perfect. It's uh <laughs> he's like just he's just like speaking like important sounding words that have no meaning and occasionally <laughs> screaming words randomly. Um, I want to hear if there's an inspiration behind a, the band themselves and B the character. Yeah. I mean, so, so growing up, uh, you know, in the, like in the late nineties and early aughts, uh, I, I, I kind of wanted the band to kind of feel like one of those haircut bands from, from the, uh, from that era. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and really in terms of that character, uh, the guy who, who plays Shiloh, who's the lead singer of Dominion Rising, it's, uh, like, like one of my best friends, Ryan Conrath, who was also our, our line producer. Again, like people wearing like, dozens of different hats this guy's like making sure we have our lunch on time but is also you know playing this this insufferable prick um and so he like he and i went to went to grad school together in boston and he uh he used to we used to do these web videos and one of the characters he would do was kind of this pretentious philosopher and it was just like we were just kind of making fun of we were in academia and we were just like so many people were so insufferable and thought every single fucking thing they said was so important and like, you know, groundbreaking. Um, so I basically like, you know, like no joke. I was like, I want you to kind of harness that character that you did like, you know, a decade ago. And then I sent him interviews of Jared Leto from 30 Seconds to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was just like, because I mean, I'm telling you, I was trying to find like the right, the right kind of lead singer rock star to send him. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen these interviews with Jared Leto. I mean, you could literally probably just type in 30 Seconds to Mars interview and you will not be disappointed. They are just like, it's like Shiloh. Shiloh is like basically just a little bit more of a steroided up version of uh, Jared Leto when he does his 30 Seconds to Mars interviews. Um, wow. And then musically, like, again, this is just like very little direction, just kind of threw it at Jeff. Um, but that's one we collaborated on because I wrote the lyrics. Um, but then Jeff, you know, I, like did like wrote the the music and and sang the the backup vocals. Yeah, what does that say about both of us? <laughs> what, what were you thinking when you wrote the Dominion Rising music? What was your thought process, or like I'm going to try to give it a little bit of a this quality? Well, you know what? It's always good to know you can write a really bad song. Uh, most people try to write good ones but I try to see if I can write a really bad one Um, actually you know who helped me crack the code on that was like it was funny because originally we were like gonna outsource that we're just sort of like I don't don't fucking know Matt was like you wanna take a swing at it like you wanna try I was like fuck it we're already like doing this so like let's try to write this song and really I was just like how do we write just like a really like butt rock like shitty you know whatever and Bill, fucking, you know, Bill Orender, fucking cracked the code. He was like, you know, we he showed me this band I never heard before called Breaking Benjamin. And he's like, dude, he's like, you have to listen to them. And I was like, all right. And we were, we were like watching all these YouTube videos. <laughs> and we were watching like, we were just like watching bands like that. And like, dude, Bill was like, you know what it is, man? He's like, it's like, if you listen to the music, he's like, it's not as bad as you think it is. He's like, it's just like shitty watered down rock music. And he's like, but once the haircut grabs the microphone, it all goes downhill. And we were like, that's it. That's the formula. So that was, <laughs> you know, we were just trying to, you know, I don't know. And then Matt, you know, Matt came over to my house and we recorded the fucking, the words. Oh my God. Yeah. So collab of the century there was that era of music where like lyrically you had to cite like suicide a blackbird and like just like a bunch like it was kind of like a like a mad libs but you had to have like you know at least like you had to you had like your bingo sheet where you had to have like four or five of these like references or like you know these nouns or or adjectives um so i just kind of like went through you know like lyrically there's got to be a crow they got you have to say tonight or sky you know yeah there's gotta be (laughs) the best is the 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 parts where he just screams like one word (laughs) like like it's it's, that's the that's the real meaning right there yeah that's (laughs) it that's it i think i think he's literally screaming cry (laughs) yeah (laughs) word cry (laughs) so there you go that bit right there and then and then just Showing that he's not wearing any shoes. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot he's barefoot, dude. And he brought. He has a carpet that he performs. Yeah. Oh man. Brings his carpet to to stomp around on. That that was all. Uh, that's like Ryan's idea. Is I wanted him to be barefoot, and he's like, "Well, what if I just bring my own carpet?" <laughs> that's incredible. It's that's oh, so geez, good because right. that. You can picture that person existing in a band. <laughs> I've fully seen that band play. But that's what I'm saying. That to me, I think I feel like that's what 
so many people are like, I know that guy, you know, they're like, I know that band. I've, I've like any band that I'm friends with has just been, yeah. Like if you've been doing it for a while, you're like, yeah, we fucking played with that band before. We met them. <laughs> met them in 2005. <laughs> you brought up a few issues in the movie that I would like to discuss. First issue. Is it okay to wear your own band shirt? Hmm. I would say I would say no, but okay. you know what? I mean, I did it in the movie. Maybe it's time to bring it back. That's it. I think bands used to do that a long time ago, you know? Matt, what do you think? I mean, so it's kind of like if a tree falls in the woods, because I, I am only wearing Doug gear when I'm in my house. Like, I wear stuff from the movie like uncle pecker had t-shirts and uh, t-shirts but but i i do i i am reluctant to go out especially if i know i'm gonna see friends if i'm just like walking my dog around or just kind of grabbing a coffee i don't mind it but if i'm going to see friends i i don't know if it i don't know if i don't wear it because i know i'm gonna catch shit from my friends or if i do think it's like a, a social faux pas um i don't know I, I think it's like one of those things where it's like if it brings you joy just do it you know what I mean? Yeah, dude, there's no such thing as guilty pleasures in this life. Only pleasures. Do whatever the fuck makes you happy. Yeah, and I, I love I love Max so much that I, I almost want to kind of defend defend him and his choices. So I'd say I, I would give an emphatic yes. I've decided Yeah. Maybe. I changed my I changed my answer to yes as well. Adam, you wear your own shirt all the time. Let's hear your case. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like I feel like from a, a touring band perspective it fully makes sense to wear your own, your own band's shirt because maybe you don't have a clean shirt anymore. You're telling everybody who you are. And you, well, and you, yeah. And you can also just like, Oh, I'll just grab one of these and put it on. Dude. I feel like we're also making the argument for smelling your own farts. There's nothing like your own brand. You know, <laughs> what do we think about bands that say their own names in their own songs? Now oh, that man. is truly. Well, I like that. I movie. like that too. I, I Hey man, when the whole, it's like a rapper. Movie. When the hold steady does it. I fucking like it. Yeah. Yeah, but you know what? I actually hate in movies when the title of the movie is said in the movie. I'm with you guys. I'm with you guys on band. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine can you imagine Metallica fucking just <laughs> saying Metallica <laughs> while they're playing? <laughs> they fully do. What? No, they don't. In in Whiplash, I swear to God they do. They say they say because we're Metallica. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, well there you go. That that fucking answers it. I changed my answer on that too. I don't like when bands do that, <laughs> except for the whole steady. Maybe I'll give them a pass. All right, next issue. You have you the the idea of good and bad banter on stage is kind of comes up frequently. Yeah. What is the epitome of bad stage banter? What is it that saying your own name in the song? <laughs> saying your own name in the banter. <laughs> just like after the song's over, you just go, Metallica. <laughs> what one thing I I really don't like, this isn't like the be all end all, because I, I I I am very kind of critical of, of onstage banter. I like in in the last band I was in that toured, uh, our singer who was like such a lovely person, still friendly with him, um, but he had the worst fucking banter ever. Um, like just uh, like really, really, really kind of cringy, cringy banter. Um, but one thing that I don't like that bands do is when they're just talking to each other, like kind of just like, like as if they're just kind of like hanging out during a practice. 
and like don't kind of engage and don't kind of like not that you have to like do like you know a tight 15 of your best stand-up or whatever um but just kind of like they're just kind of looking at each other and just kind of like kind of talking under the breath and like just referencing stuff that happened that day and like Uh, very inside jokey um that's something that just I, (laughs) i hate that drives me nuts were you driven? Because obviously you, you you brought it up in the movie several times and you made it like a point to show that that was part of Max's um, journey as a character to go from having no idea how to do it to like reading off of his hand a halfway decent banter. Was that something that, you know, you had thought about a lot before you before you wrote the movie or as you were writing the movie as a band person? Yeah, I mean, so so with that, it was um, like narratively, I wanted to give like Judy has her arc. I don't think Mel needed an arc just because of her like her character, but I wanted to give like Max a little like just like a little arc um, where like, you know, he overcomes something. And, you know, I was kind of like, like I wanted to I wanted it to be band centric. I wanted it to kind of involve uh I wanted it Judy to kind of have a hand in kind of like looking out for him as like a like an older sister type. Um and I was just trying to think of something innocent where like it doesn't really like make his character it doesn't like it's not a bad look for his character. It can almost endear him to the audience. And I thought like just him not being able to like, you know, to speak in front of people, like to have like public speaking um, issues kind of made him like really endeared him to the audience even more. And it was something that I think I, I felt that could be, you could kind of have a simple kind of fix to it uh, without like spending a ton of time, like giving like a ton more kind of the runtime or the screen time to that, to that kind of like that conflict or that issue. So that was just kind of, I think, born out of like, just kind of narratively just trying to find something that was like band centric and, and endeared Jeff to the audience or, or his character to the audience. I see. Yeah. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA plus and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about the uh, venues that you played. Um, I'm curious if you want to talk about any of them, if there are any, any, any specific places they are and or inspiration behind them. Yeah, I mean, so the venues, I like I knew I wanted to do uh, a punk basement. I knew I wanted to do like a VFW hall. I was just thinking of like places that that some of my my favorite show going memories um, and I didn't want to do like typical. I mean, like there is kind of the typical venue of House of Independence. Um, which that was just because my brother was working there at the time. And like, I wanted that to kind of like visually have kind of a juxtaposition of like making it or like kind of succeeding in, in, you know, however Judy's framing it in her head. Um, but that was like all of, all the venues we found, it was like luck and just like friends of ours that, that were connected to those venues in some way. Like my friend, Joey Marin, uh, like lived in that house, uh, at the end with the punk house where they perform. And it's this place called the sound hole, uh, or it was called the sound hole. It's, it's, it's since, uh, expired. 
Um, but it was just like this Philly DIY venue just run by the kids that, that live in the house. And they would do, I mean, like any type of show, like everything from like EDM to like, you know, crust punk to, you know, you know, where, whatever they would kind of like, like art installations they would do and shit. Um, and the VFW hall was like, it's the brick VFW. So like, I mean, I've seen like kid dynamite there, like back in the day. Um, so like the, that was kind of like a, an, a storied kind of venue, like around where I grew up in New Jersey. And my uncle just worked for the township and knew the guy that, that the, the, like the head of the VFW there and just kind of called in a favor. Um, and the, the, the shitty bar that they, for the first show that they had had that kind of, uh, like horrific experience was just kind of like it's a fucking sports bar on the jersey shore um that has like you know like a jimmy buffett cover band like plays there every weekend um ah jimmy buffett Buffett. um and that was like again like my brother just like knew the guy that that booked there and was just like hey my brother's making this movie is there any way like they could shoot there on like a weekday like in the morning and like for you know like just a couple hundred bucks yeah so it was just kind of like calling upon like trying to kind of like if not the the literal venue trying to kind of like conjure up the feelings of of the venues that i loved or the types of venues i loved growing up um and then just like calling in favors from from people we know that that either had were associated with that venue or could you know could hook us up setting up this movie really sounds a lot like just setting up a diy tour Dude, I'm I'm telling you pretty much. I mean, seriously, dude, it was. And we were shooting in Brooklyn, we were shooting all around New Jersey and in Philadelphia. So and we had like a really small crew. So when we would do company moves to like, you know, shoot on at a different location, it felt like we were on tour because we didn't have like one centralized location where most of the the film and the action takes place. So like Jeff was really driving the van with David, who played Peck, and Ruby and Chet. Um, of duh fame and i mean they were like eating their meals together and i mean the whole crew was just kind of traveling from place to place but the actual like the core four in the movie um did all of their traveling and they they i mean jeff and david like you know room together uh yeah. Chet room. the picture car was my car <laughs> and so yeah and so I, yeah it was it was it, it truly by like day three and onward was like a band on tour. We, I mean, we said it like every fucking day because also we all got along really well. We loved each other and became really good friends. And we, you know, like I'm fucking playing punk music for, for these uh, people that uh, became my friends. And, you know, cause, cause some of them weren't really that well versed in it. And so we just, I was like, Oh, this is a band from Philadelphia in 2000. You know, they haven't been a band since 2011 or, you know, whatever. And like, it was just cool. It was bonding. And we just, we had a really good time doing that. But I mean, that really lent itself to us feeling like a real band. We stunk. We fucking were traveling around in a, an old prison van, you know? So that was that. Was that part of the um, authenticity um, element was to not shower? <laughs> I mean, we tried to shower. <laughs> I, I would say we definitely... You know, just like in real life, you try to shower. <laughs> it's not that you don't want to. So, yeah, I would say the desperation uh, for looking for a shower is truly, that was uh, authentic. Yeah. But, no, we got showers. We got showers. How was it cleaning up after some of the, like, like gory scenes? Oh, terrible. 
we almost ruined relationships over it forever. Yeah. So, so when when the Dominion Rising, the Dominion Rising scene, and the uh, the shitty uh, promoter scene, um, were both shot in the same apartment in Brooklyn, and it was uh, my now wife, girlfriend at the time, sister. So it's my sister in law. Let us shoot there. And again, this is like a small two bedroom apartment in in Brooklyn on the third floor. And, uh, like, I think, I think there was, there was some, um, just some issues in terms of <clears throat> like with our, uh, a couple of our producers, like di- really didn't do their job that day. And we shot, we shot both those scenes kind of back to back over the course of two days. And, uh, at one point I was like, do we have our, do we have a cleaning crew to kind of take care of this? Cause the walls are drenched in blood. Um, and they're like, yeah, they're going to come tomorrow. And I guess no one called the cleaning crew. So what happened was um, Jeff, like on our day off, uh, Jeff, Ryan, who played Shiloh, myself and and my wife, just like tried to clean the walls as best we can, but they were still like fucked up. Um, so immediately following the, the, once we wrapped the film, so we wrapped the film on a Saturday night. I think Sunday afternoon, I I went to my sister in law's place because she freaked out as 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 she should. Um, she freaked out, being like, "I can't live here," you know, like blah 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 blah. Um, so I basically not being a very because uh, I mean we had to we had to like re basically like refinish the like the the bedrooms. Like we we had to not just clean the walls, but I mean like the trim was like so fucked. Um, so basically for a week I, I had to like do deep cleaning and then, uh, I like, I worked with uh, somebody on thumbtack that I had hired to like help me to kind of like, you know, do the, the fixes of the walls and the trim and all that stuff. Um, so it was, yeah. And that was our, that was our one day off too. the next day after doing that. And, you know, we were all so fucking tired that everybody were like, you, everybody, you guys get rest. Me, Matt, and his wife uh, spent the whole. We just got hammered that night and spent that night and the whole next day cleaning the apartment to no avail while his sister-in-law cried somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Yeah, and then and then like, didn't your cousin like never oh. speak to you again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so when they go to when they go to uh, Pissface the the Pissface headquarters um, with Nick. That was my cousin's house. And what's the craziest thing about that is, so I, I had said, like, can we use your house to film? And I, I I probably just didn't give him an idea of what it's like to have a film crew, like, like come into a space. And what's crazy is, so we, like, we shot this scene in a bathroom where we, like, like, you know, the camera crew kind of took the, like, a mirror off of, like, the wall and did all this stuff. And my cousin came in as we were kind of doing this and, like, flipped out um, and kind of, like, read me the rights uh, outside and was just like, like, do it today, like, finish today and then just get the fuck out of here. Um, and what's <laughs> crazy is we ended up cutting... We ended up cutting out the scene that like gave him the most agita and like caused the most stress. Like one of the days that caused the most stress, we ended up cutting that scene just because it didn't work. Um, but yeah, he—I mean, he—he's such a lovely dude. But yeah, we didn't talk, or he wouldn't talk to me for for a few months afterward. He was—he was kind of holding on to a grudge. But we're good. What what was what was in the it was scene? a scene? It was like a dream sequence scene where. 
Um, so this is actually, I, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever told anybody outside of the crew. Uh, nobody knows about this. So there's a scene when she's at Nick's house. So they go to Nick's house and basically what happens is like, she, he shows them into the bedroom and then in the movie, the next scene is they go immediately to the pool. There's a scene between those two scenes that we shot. And we even like did some like minor VFX work where she looks, she's in the bathroom, Judy's in the bathroom and she looks out the window and she sees Nick and Peck kind of hitting it off, like having a smoke and kind of like laughing. And then she goes into the shower and she's, there's this dream sequence in the shower where Nick's standing across from her and they start to kiss. And there's like this weird kind of swirling kind of colors and stuff. And then when she pulls out, um, it's Peckerhead and Peckerhead like does like a little kissy face. And then she like wakes up, and like falls out of the shower. Um, and the scene, I mean, the scene kind of, the scene wasn't bad. It, I think it worked and it kind of had some like cool visual stuff. Um, but I didn't like, like in terms of like the narrative that like it kind of confused that like, is she attracted to Peck or like, do they have, I didn't want there to be any confusion as far as like their chemistry. <laughs> so I, I ended up uh, cutting that out. I see. Wow. Jeff, just a little side thing. I love the little, um, Hey, look at me when you jump in the pool thing that you do. Oh, so, try, <laughs> yeah, so good. Just vying for Nick's attention. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. That cracked me up so hard. Thank you. That was, uh, you know, that was method acting at its finest. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, that was, you know, that was, you know, I don't know. The, uh, the pitfalls of DIY filmmaking. I don't think Matt's cousin was familiar with DIY punk rock music. <laughs> he was he was doing that thing where you punch the palm of your hands intimidatingly. <laughs> so Matt, I mean, and Jeff, you can answer too if this if you have thoughts on this. But you you made this movie based off of a touring band um, because you know this was a life that you had lived before. You know, being on the road doing these kind of shows. And you were kind of modeling these shows after ones that you had experienced before. Did you have any any particular shows like that you remember that kind of were burned into your brain, you know, from this from from your back in the day of being in a, um, a DIY touring band? Yeah, I mean, like not not great in terms of the storytelling sense, but I mean, like I've definitely played a show, and and the guy gave us two dollars. Um, and I, I like, I always feel with something like that, I don't mind not getting paid if like, if, if you didn't make any money, but it's like two, like it's, I almost feel like it's, it's a bit of an insult to just get like $2. Um, and, and the guys like, I've definitely gotten like, just like a buck or two bucks to play a show, not even splitting it. Just the guy hands us like a single dollar bill. Um, I definitely <laughs> like, I mean, just like nightmarish stuff where, you know, you're in like, you know, Tampa Bay and you're, <laughs> yeah. your van's parked in like the back alley and, you know, somebody locks the keys in the trailer or, you know, like just something like that. And it's like, there's no like, you know, 24 hour locksmith that'll, that'll like come out at that, like at that point of the night. So you're just kind of like wandering kind of like the, the streets of Tampa at like, you know, two or 3am, like trying to figure like, like, are you going to even make the show the next day? I mean, just stuff like that, where it's like, man, like, I, I can't, I can't believe that, that like, that, 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 that didn't completely like crush us, you know, or like completely like destroy our spirit. Um, 
But no, like none, no, I mean, you encounter like a ton of just like characters and just like total like weirdos and insane people. Um, but I, I can't, Jeff, can you think of any, any really great? I, well, I, don't mean, I, I, I was don't trying mean, to think of it. I don't mean great necessarily, oh. just <laughs> vivid. No, I, you know what yeah, I mean? no, they wouldn't be great, <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just like kind of like a blur of all, especially like, you know, when I was young, really younger and playing in bands in high school and stuff. I mean, that was, that was, that was, that was like truly the salad days of just like everything going wrong and just but you're like yeah kind of like matt said you're just like why did i keep doing it like i must have really i'm you know i mean i still play music it's like man I'm, i must really like it to you know to to go through that kind of stuff a lot you know but yeah i don't know that nothing when i'm on the spot right now it's like kind of really hard to think of one particular moment but you know yeah, there's been a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, you know? and it's crazy, like, and again, maybe it's just because I can be incredibly cynical and I'm definitely, like, glass half empty a lot of the times when I, like, when I reflect or frame things, which is probably not good. But I think there's, like, a, a lot of, like, like the music world and the film world kind of mirror each other because I feel like back when I was in, in bands and, like, even now as a filmmaker, um, just in terms of, like, the the grit you need to do it but just how it, it does feel like when you're when i'm kind of assessing it like 98 percent of it is failure or like or at least like heavy compromise um and it's like the, it, you only do it because you really want to do it um because like like i I've, I've told i've told jeff this but one of the most like kind of like mind-blowing things that i had ever heard and it kind of like unlocked uh, why I do it is, you know, I've been making films for a couple of years and it, it's kind of like, it's thankless and it's really tough. And, you know, it's just like, you're plugging away and you're like, you know, why at times like, you're just questioning everything. Why am I doing this? And, uh, I went to this, uh, this screening event with Jeff Garland from, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's like a comedian. And it was like, it was students at the school I was going to. And he basically just hung out for two hours uh, with like this group of students, like, you know, like just like a couple dozen of us and was just shooting the shit, kind of like talking about, you know, like the industry. And this kid asked him like, you know, like this kind of like really, you know, broad question of how do you make it? And he's I, like, I should say, like, he's really nice as he's saying this. It sounds like mean, but I, I kind of really understand the the, the sentiment now. And he's like, uh, he's like, how do you make it? He's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, like, I want to be a writer director. How do I make it? And like Jeff Garland thinks for a minute and he's like, well, do you, do you have like a backup plan? Like, what if it, what if it doesn't work out? What if you can't, what if, what if you don't make a living being a writing director? Like do you have a backup plan? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I could go, and again, I forget what the kid actually said, but it was something like I could go work for my dad's insurance agency or whatever. And he's like, okay, well, like, you're you're probably going to do that. And he's like, you know, I worked in Chicago theater for like, you know, 25 years before I had any real big break. Like I had to, you know, supplement my income by like waiting tables and doing this. And he's like, you know, most people, like once they encounter any, like if they don't encounter success in the first couple of years, they just go on and do something else. And he's like, he's like, I can't imagine doing anything else. He's like, all I want to do is like act and write and like collaborate in this world. Um, and that kind of like felt that, I mean, that kind of like, like to Jeff's point and the kind of how I feel about like filmmaking is, you know, 
I've definitely made a ton of films. Like my first feature film was a, a total, I, I shouldn't say disaster. I mean, I'm still proud of it, but it did not succeed in the ways in which I thought. And that like bankrupted me, like, uh, you know, like in every way, emotionally, you know, financially, morally, morally, morally everything. Yeah. Um, and you know, like the next year I was like, I want to make another movie. I learned, I learned a shit ton and I know I can, I know I can make something better. Um, so I, like, I think both with like DIY music and film, they kind of have this thing where it's like, it sounds so kind of corny, but you know, you the the people that stick around are not really concerned with you know making bank or like you know fame or whatever it's because like that's the fucking only thing they can imagine themselves doing thank you so much for listening to in defense of ska if you've enjoyed this episode please like and subscribe to the show wherever you normally download podcasts if you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at In Defense of Ska. You can also sign up for my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get the podcast sent directly to your inbox every Wednesday. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week so you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has a great band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying... Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.